You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. HuntStand is the most popular and functional mobile hunting app on the market. With a variety of base maps to choose from, satellite imagery that is updated every month, the ability to check the weather, no property information, and even catalog your trail cam picks, HuntStand even gives you the ability to import pins and location markers from other mobile apps. Visit HuntStand.com or download wherever you download your apps. Enter discount code SN20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Welcome back to another episode of the O2 Podcast. Listen, just Paul, just me, stuck with me for this intro. Uh, Andrew is on the main episode. Uh, This week we've got Parker McDonald from Southern Ground Hunting. Awesome dude, great turkey hunter, great human being. Uh, we talk, we recap the National Wild Turkey Federation Convention. If you guys listen to this, you know where I was last week. I was a thousand miles an hour. I was in freaking hog heaven, man. Had a great time. Great show. Thanks to everyone that helped put that on. Thanks to all the members that came out uh, and, and turned out to support that organization. So uh, thanks to, to Go Wild. I'm going to keep this intro real short, guys. Go Wild. Time to go wild.com. You can download it on the Apple Store or the Android platform. A uh, couple questions. One. Have you downloaded it? Two, if you haven't, why not? Three, guess what? You get ten bucks off when you sign up. Awesome community. There's a really neat feature. You click on the uh, like the near me, and you can see people that are that are that are close in your region. You can see, you can gather information for the upcoming turkey season. All sorts of really neat tricks in that. They got a ton of products for sale. Get you geared up for turkey season. So check that out. Time to go wild.com. Uh, thanks to our guys uh, at Midwest Gunworks. Listen, I have been bird dog and new turkey gun. Got to figure that out. I'm going to get it from Midwest Gunworks. I'm going to use the code Ohio Outdoors 5. I'm going to save myself 5%. They got a ton of stuff. Uh, if you have t- taken apart one of your guns, can't figure it out, check out their YouTube page. They got some really cool stuff on there. So thanks to our buddies out there at Midwest Gunworks. Um, Half Rack. Someone asked me the other day, hey, man, what sling do you use? I personally use the Boone Sling from Half Rack. Awesome. I love the leather. I love that old school look. Uh, it performs really well. I love the way that it adjusts. The, and it's just it's just a good sling man i think that's and then it's not super expensive you don't need to get all crazy with these gun slings uh this is a great option for you half dash rack find them on instagram find them on go wild some really cool products available uh to, to today's hunter and thanks to our friends obviously at first light 
really looking forward to getting geared up for uh, for turkey season with those guys. I bought the leafy suit, the phantom leafy suit last year. Game changer. Sawbuck pants, game changer. Check them out. So firstlight.com. Uh, listen, thanks so much for the support of the show. Thanks for listening to us every week, just hammering out stuff. Uh, it is, it's almost 6 o'clock, 6 a.m., February 22nd, the day that this comes out. I've had all sorts of computer issues trying to get this thing out. So, Josh Raley, my apologies, my friend. So, guys, if you're listening to this on Wednesday that this episode releases, this is literally as live as this podcast is going to get. So, thanks for that. Thanks for all of your support of our show. Give us a review uh, on whatever platform you're listening to us on. Follow us on Go Wild O2 Podcast. Follow us on Instagram, the.o2.podcast. Check out the website, theo2podcast.com. Do you see a theme here, guys? O2 Podcast. Thank you so much for your support. We'll see you next week. Enjoy. Parker McDonald from Southern Ground. Fix this crooked hat. What the heck is going on with this thing right now? Dude, I, I, I know what you're dealing with right now because when you look at the camera, it's backwards and it does that to me all the time. It doesn't make sense to me right now. It looks <laughs> like, it's like, like way over to this side. It does, yeah. I'm so confused. That is crooked. We're just gonna wear it. We're just gonna wear the old. <laughs> we're gonna wear it frontwards. You got to give it one of the little little twists. So there you go. So are, are you are you recovered from the National Tree Federation Con- Convention? Dude, my foot. I've got issues. I got something going on. It feels like I got plantar fasciitis in my toe or gout or something. Oh my gosh! Dude, I you I, got I, every time we talk to you, they got something going on, bro. And you know what's crazy is I I try not to be a little bitch about stuff. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure you're not kidney stones are a bit, little bitch thing. Like that's no joke. And uh, but man, we gotta get you on a mend. We do. Oh, man. I got so I, it's every year I get something that goes on with my foot. Like usually this time of year, January, February. I don't know what it is, but it'll get like really sore. My tendons will get really sore, and I'll be like, I can't walk for maybe a week, and then it goes away. Like mm. overnight, it'll go away. Man, that's awful. So I walked 55 miles inside of the Gaylord last year, last week from Tuesday to Tuesday through Saturday, 50, 55. It was like 55.6. You kept sending me updates every morning. Yeah. It was impressive. It was insane, man. I I was just completely worn out. So where would you go? I'm trying to see. So he had his on X tracker going. Oh my God. How <laughs> funny would that be? So if you've got, if you've got an I iPhone, that's a total hunting douche. Man. Oh, for sure. If you go to your health app on your, on your iPhone, it'll have how many, how many miles you've walked that day. Yeah. That's what I'm looking at. And I'm trying to find where I can go. Like, uh, by the day, 10.2 is insane. I know I've done this before, but it's, so gay. Right. Okay, let's see here. Week. All right. so Thursday, I did four miles. Three, eight. On Friday, which that one makes sense. Almost eight on Saturday. Yeah. Like, That's, it's. And I'll was, tell you what. Half What's a day that? on Friday. I was only there half was a day it? on Friday. So yeah, I'll tell you what: eight miles in a convention center is way worse than eight miles in the Turkey Woods. I, oh, yeah. I mean, even eight miles in like the roughest terrain that you can imagine. Absolutely. 
it's worse. Like my, I, my body felt wrecked after a 10 mile day. And I'm like, dude, I, I could climb the hills of Alabama or Southern Ohio or Tennessee for 15 miles and not feel as bad as I do right now. Yeah. It's no the, joke. so what, what were you up? Well, you were wearing dress shoes. What? Dude, the you entire time. Dress shoes. Dress shoes <laughs> you went on a coat. freaking Colorado elk hunt in dress shoes is what you just did. Yeah, That's the equivalent. I did, man. <laughs> it was, it was crazy. I, the first, the first day that, that people were showing up, which I, was Wednesday, I did, you know, over 10 miles. I had to change my shirt three times because I was sweating so bad that I would sweat through a shirt and I'd have to, I'd have to just change it out. It was miserable, but Jeez, it's, it's always a lot of fun, man. That, that, that event was really cool. It's my second time down there. So, all right. So let's yeah. talk about what the event actually is. Um, you're talking about the NWTF national wild Turkey Federation annual conference, right? Yep. Down in Nashville convention and sports show. Yep. Down there at the, Gaylord Opryland Resort, Gaylord Opryland Hotel, which is like one of my favorite places in the world because of all the indoor plants. It's wild, man. But, did you did you walk around and, and experience oh, it, the? It's so bizarre because you like you walk outside and you feel like you're outside, yeah. and you are in fact not. You're in Jurassic Park. Actually, yeah. you're I mean, in the pterodactyl. It's the pterodactyl room in Jurassic Park. You know what I'm talking about? It's literally. Oh what yeah. It looks like. Yeah. When you walk There's outside, plants, that thing, it's waterfall. Awesome. There's a freaking river with a boat that runs through with, there. So here with catfish in it, uh, catfish with brim, as y'all call them down there in Alabama. And, we call them blue carp. carp. I was standing around with Catman at one point, and uh, he was trying to figure out how he could get a, a bow in there to bowfish. <laughs> so what you get when you bring a bunch of hunters into there. Yeah. So did you <laughs> did you see the boat? The river. Did you see the boat that rolls around the river? Mm-hmm. I. I want prodigy boats to like bring one of their boats up there next year <laughs> and just have, that would have, be sweet. have duck decoys hanging off of that. And then so, a bunch of, you have freaking duck dynasty or whatever, just rolling around that thing the entire day, just duck calling and party. I mean, <laughs> listen, we could have done work. that in the, uh, in the new canoe. Oh yeah. Time. Like that was the reason why I was there. Like, why not throw that that's thing what in new, that's what new that's what new canoe needs to do that needs to be their marketing they got to have you and like 15 other people just rolling around with like taxidermy turkeys in the front of your <laughs> that would be front bad, of the canoes bro. just ripping ripping through there that would be the cooler a beer somebody playing guitar <laughs> partying that new canoe that that was a pretty sweet setup man it's a nice boat man i really like them i mean i use my i use my flat bottom a lot now but I mean, if I, if I were like, when I go down to Florida this year, I'm going to be using my new canoe. I'm going to take it, you know, I may not use it just depending on what, what happens. Uh, but I'm at least going to have it there if I need to use it. It's so the thing I like about a kayak and specifically a new canoe is that you can take it anywhere and it doesn't mess you up. They let me give you bad gas mileage. You don't got to worry about trailer tires or ball bearings or anything like that. You can just, Throw it in, and if you use it, great. And if not, who cares? You know, yeah, no harm, so, no foul. And I, I really like them. There's a big trade show and stuff with this, right? Like, uh, I'm asking from an idiot's perspective. Yeah. It's not been there, <laughs> but like, how many vendors? And there were 545 vendors at this year's at this year's That's show. Wow, well, how yeah. many do you think are at ATA? Is it bigger than that? You know, I, I, if it's if it's not bigger, I mean, there, it's right there. Um, when you say Parker, you've been to ATA. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like 
NWTF is bigger when you in the amount of people that are there at any given time during the day. Um, I mean, there's a lot of people. It's open to the public, right? It is. Mm -hmm. It's open to the public and ATA isn't. So I would say ATA is definitely more comfortable as far as the amount of people in the building. But NWTF, man, I mean, I was blown away. And when you walk, when you first walk in, you're like, "Ah, it's not going to be huge you know the the room doesn't feel very big and then you walk behind the curtains it's like oh my gosh it just keeps going forever a sea of turkey stuff yeah they partition it off and there's like two rooms so you're right when you first walk in it doesn't feel that big and then you turn the corner like you said and it's just like oh crap there's way more stuff here than i thought there was (laughs) yeah it gets it gets way bigger the the more you walk the bigger the building gets it's crazy yeah I and I didn't know that it was possible for me to to hate the sound of a hen turkey. But <laughs> after after that that show, I don't hate it, but I'm like, oh god, I need a break. I just <laughs> because it is it is nonstop. Hen turkeys, you got people gobbling on box calls, you got duck calls, goose calls going off. I mean, it is a I'm gonna use a, a word here that I heard someone else use, a cacophony of sound, Andrew. And it is nonstop. Whoa. Is it okay? Now I gotta ask because I don't know what cacophony means, but I know that that's you the. You sound really smart, though. The uh, when we go to ATA, you find the two like turkey decoys or whatever that are there. Hundred percent. Yep. Are there any? Is there anything else besides turkeys, or is this like one hundred percent pure turkeys? No, you get you get. I mean, you get some goose some goose call companies and duck calls, and you get some some duck waterfowl decoys. But I mean, it is like ninety eight percent turkey hunting related on some level so i think i think a deer hunter could a deer hunter could could have a good time if he does not care about turkey hunting a little bit if you like hunting and the outdoor lifestyle i thought it was you know i felt like you you would get be able to find something that you wanted you know yeah they have the personalities and stuff that was it was cool the Um, management tools there and the food plot stuff so yeah, yeah there's definitely something for everyone is there anything you on the other saw? end? There's a lot of there's a lot of outfitters and stuff too, um, that are booking turkey hunts, deer hunts, you know, whatever. Like literally every animal I saw, African stuff, uh, Alaskan stuff. Like there's all kinds of outfitters there. Is there anything you guys saw on the the floor that was noteworthy or new or? I think did tethered release uh, their best there. Well. So I, I, I'll let Paul take this because we're talking about gear on my podcast tomorrow. So uh, um, I will say there was a lot of good stuff, though. Yeah. So so Tether did release a vest, which was was pretty pretty sweet. I think it's called the M2. It's definitely a minimalist turkey hunter vest. Uh, if you're if you're a mobile turkey hunter and like to move around, I mean that's their thing, right? Being mobile. It's really neat. I think it's tried on. Aaron Warburton had it on. I tried to pull it off of his body, but he was just being the total jerk and wouldn't let me wear it. I'm just kidding. I, I didn't. I didn't try to pull <laughs> it off. Ball guy trying to touch me. Yeah. Why is this guy ripping my vest off? No. It was. It was. It was pretty neat. It was. It was pretty cool. Uh, I will Luke say. I will say. No homo. Paul was looking looking pretty sharp. So <laughs> if he started trying to Thank pull you, clothes off, I could I could imagine some folks would cave to it because he was looking pretty nice. Hey, look, uh, there's a reason I roll around with him. Okay, <laughs> nobody messes with you when Paul's around. Okay, big, big. He's a big man. He had he was looking slim in that slim cut suit <laughs> that he was wearing. 
Thank you, man. I'll try to stay. I'll try to stay humble here. <laughs> I, you know, it was. I, I walked by you the second, you know, second or third time, and one of our, one of our, some, someone decided to give us a bunch of money. They had won like a contest, and and uh, they wanted to do like a bit for their TV show. Did you see that? Like when I walked by, I went over there. No. And I, so they had all these cameras and all these lights, and I was like accepting this giant check from them. That, that they donated to the National Wild Tree Fund. They, they chose the NWTF as their as their uh, nonprofit. They wanted to give this 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 award to, which is really really awesome. Turkey Hunter TV, man, great guys. Uh, but it was really weird, man, with the cameras. And then like people started because you know the camera lights come on and there's people with microphones and there and, and so people like naturally gather to that. And I mean, I'm used to sitting next to this guy in my basement talking to someone on a screen. So that's like. I was so uncomfortable when that was going on. I was looking at all these people. I'm like, I'm glad I bring you a level of comfort. I'm like, what? Why, why are they standing around? Thought like they're just watching all of this unfold. It was, it was really, it was really kind of, I mean, it was intimidating as hell. I don't know how Waddell gets through that place, man. So, man, but did was, you see the dang line for Lee Ellis though? Like, I did not. That that was the longest line that I saw in the whole building. Was no to, kidding. Was to shake. Lee Ellis's hand, take pictures and see. I think he had a couple of the deer that he's killed there, but I know he had the upside down rack looking. I think it was an Ohio bug, actually. Um, that thing's crazy looking. It's nuts. I mean, and seeing it in person was insane, but we were. Sorry, my. Apparently, my child is driving a go kart up in the. <laughs> Thunderstorms down there. Huh? I'd say someone uh, just rolled something above the. Yes, I don't know what that was, um, but no, I mean like it, when you talk about looking at who who was there, like the there was a lot of personalities there. Like you got Waddell and the hunting public guys were there. Of course, I mentioned Catman was there, um, Dave Owens, and um, but Lee Ellis, dude. Like there was literally a line that like the whole aisle to shake his hand which i thought was pretty insane at an indie uh nwtf convention i mean yeah you don't think of lee he's a hell of a turkey hunter though yeah he i know he started getting into it but yeah i mean when i think of seek one i think of freaking giant white giant box yeah 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 for sure no that's that's interesting it is it is cool seeing all the all the personalities there i mean it's a good it's a good blend of the kind of the first wave of those of the content creators, you know, with, with cuz Strickland and will, will Primos and, and um, David Knight or Harold Knight was yeah. there, excuse me from yeah. Knight and Hale, Chris Kirby from Quaker boy, Alex Rutledge, Ray. I, so all of those like old Eddie school guys. Yeah. Eddie Salter was there. So those guys are, I mean, they're, they're a hoot to talk to man because those Southern guys, those older, older dudes, the charisma that falls off of them. It's just, it's, it's amazing. Cool. It's really and the cool. way that they tell stories and they just captivate you. And I mean, it's great meeting those guys and, and talking to them. So I'm talking about the way that cuz Strickland opened in prayer. Yeah. Give, give you the daggone heebie jeebies. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Like this dude, like he's standing right there praying over the thing. And uh, like he's too, I grew up watching, you know, it's, it's yeah. wild seeing those guys. And I meet a lot of cool people. They're doing podcasts and YouTube stuff. I mean, a lot of really cool people, but some of those are the ones that I haven't ever been able to see or meet. And so I thought that was, uh, that was really cool. Yeah. 
Yeah, it is. It is neat seeing seeing those guys, and and you know, I, I get to got to you finally like meet people in person that we've talked to uh-huh. on the show. So it was it was pretty neat. Mike Pentecost was probably I spent some time with him. That guy is a is a treasure, man. From, yeah, from from Woodhaven, Dave Owens, Alex Rutledge. I don't know. It, it, we got an a, an interview coming up with him, so keep, stay tuned for that. But that guy is a mile a minute, man. And he is as entertaining as they come. So yeah, I love hearing those old those old turkey hunters talk talk war stories, man. So yeah, did you get did you get a Mister Fox vest? Um, I did not, but uh, one of my best friends in the world, Adam Cruz, he did, and uh, so I got to got to look at one. We got we got kind of got some ideas for it, some special things that we're gonna potentially All do right. with it. What okay. is so special about these? Besides the fact that the one sold for $30,000 or something. 30, 32,000. So it's crazy. So Mr. Fox is the father of Toxie Hayes, who is the founder of Mossy Oak. So he's been, he killed his first turkey in 1944. So Mossy Oak made, and he, he's in his, he's in his late nineties and Mossy Oak made 1,944 vests that they're calling the Mr. Fox vest. And then, so they're, they're one-offs. Like they're never going to make these again. Limited edition. They've done this before. They Mossy Oak has done this before. Bob Dixon was really instrumental in the formation and success of Mossy Oak early on. Uh, so they made a Bob Dixon vest. He passed away of pancreatic cancer. I'm going to say mid nineties, really limited run. And those things have taken on kind of a life of their own in terms of like the lore around Turkey hunting. And so they, they did the same thing with the Mr. Fox vest and at the NWTF show, they had 400 that they brought with them. So, they passed out these little tickets, little pieces of paper, and it's got the vest has a little fox. It's almost like an emoji, is what it looks like. It's just a little yeah, box. it's cool. It's a cool little sketch, little sketch yeah. vector. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. nothing. It's nothing crazy. It's as simple as it can be. It's got a little mossy oak bottomland hat on it, and that's that's the Mister Fox logo. And so that logo is on a leather patch on the vest, and it's it's a pretty neat looking vest. But so they had four hundred, and and they passed those out, uh, two hundred on. Thursday night or two. Yeah. Two, yeah. 200 on, I think it was 200 on Thursday night, 200, 200 Wednesday night, and that, 200 that's what Wednesday night and 200 on Thursday yep. night. Yep. That's what it is. Uh, I think that's how they did it. And, and then people could, could get a ticket and then they could get in line and then they just randomly distributed these vests. And so they did that to, to honor uh, Fox Haas and you know, what he's done for, for Turkey hunters and what he's done for Mossy Oak and, and just kind of the legacy that, that he's left. So it's pretty neat. And so the I thought, from what I I've thought read, it was really cool how, for me, like the really cool thing about the whole thing was kind of seemed like his grandkids were leading the charge on the whole thing. Yeah. Um, which I thought was a really cool aspect of the, the whole convention is it felt like, um, because that was such a, an important part of this 50th anniversary of NWTF, the, the whole Fox everything i mean all these call makers had the mr fox calls that went with the vest i mean it was absolutely it was so intentional and really cool and really neat to see like um almost a not a it wasn't it didn't feel like a passing of the torch but in a lot of ways it it seemed like your your younger generation was kind of showing face a little bit more but showing honor to the kind of the old the older generation which was really neat that's what i felt about the whole thing it's like it was very 
like honoring the tradition and welcoming the future. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. And, and even with, within the organization as the NWTF, Becky Humphreys, longtime CEO, she's retiring Two two new CEOs, Jason and Kurt. I mean, they're my age, you know, late thirties, early forties. Yeah. So, so the, that org, our organization is going through kind of, of, of a transition, but a lot of those first wave of the modern Turkey hunters, Mr. Fox, Zach Farmer, guys like that, we're, we're losing them every day you know yeah and because they're in their 90s and and they've lived these really you know long and, and and good lives so it is neat to honor those guys and even you know the guys that you know like we talk about cuz and will that are they're on like the, the first wave of content creators in the outdoor space even those guys were losing them every day or they're just not doing it anymore so there's yeah there is there's definitely a transition to the to the younger generation and that and it's not just creating content, it's propping up conservation in this country mm-hmm. and it's supporting wildlife. That's the transitions that, that's, that's happening. It's, it's, you know, that responsibility is falling on our generation. So that's, that's a neat, that's a neat thing that, that, uh, that you pointed out there. So, okay. So on these vests, you said they pass out 200 the mm-hmm. one night and 200 the next night. Those tickets, are they to, uh, you know, submit a silent, auction or was it a raffle or no it's a chance to get the vest yeah like they pass them out like it's your card the first 200 people to walk in the door get a card um to go to the mossy oak booth and buy the mr fox vest later in the day which was like i think 450 dollars is what they were selling them for and um it was i mean i mean adam camped out all night there he got there at 10 p.m. and got his card. I think 200 people finally showed up by like 3.30 or 4.30 in the morning. And so they just handed out the cards and they came back and bought their, their stuff. But, I mean, there's one right now going on on eBay, and I think it's over three grand that the guys got it up for. I mean, they're that's it's kind of like I, I kind of overheard um, uh, one of Toxie's sons at one of the booths uh, – saying you know we're just really hoping that the ones who wanted them for the right reason got them and and i I thought about it like i'm a fan of capitalism right like if you can make a a dollar like that's cool so camp in the spot all night and get the vest sell it for 1500 whatever but at the same time i do understand like like there are people out there who really want this vest to actually honor and pass down to their families and stuff and so it's like, where do you, which ones is one of them okay and one of them's not, or is both of both options completely okay? Uh, I don't know what the right answer to that is, but I know that a lot of people really wanted one of those vests. So I guess one of the two more questions on this, I promise. The vest itself is it like something you would actually use, or is it something you hang in your office? We're gonna use Adams. Adams okay. planning on Adams planning on using it. And um, so here's a cool thing. Adam actually has the, the Bob Dixon vest as well. Oh, nice. So, he, so that's been his primary turkey hunting vest all these years. He hadn't like framed it and done all that. So he's like, well, I got this vest. I might as well do the same thing, get some blood on it, you know? And um, so he's planning on using it. And a lot of guys I don't think are going to though. I got the only other thought you might've said this, Paul, but is, is Mr. Fox still alive? He is. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Still killing Kill- turkeys, as far Same. as I know. 
Yeah, he killed a turkey last year and a big deer in the fall. So yeah, he did. Yeah, he's still he's still getting after it, man. And you know, when you're that age, like you just you you know, tomorrow's not promised for any of us, but it's really you know you never you never know. So, but he, he's still, man. I hope he gets another another That's season true. to kill the turkey. How cool would that be? I want to say this is uh, season seventy. We're going on seventy five for him. Seventy five. Yeah. Mistaken? Is yeah, that right? They, yeah, they talked about that quite a bit over the week. That seventy-five years in the making. What was really neat? A lot of the content creators uh, last spring, spring of twenty twenty-two, Masio gave them a vest, and they were to hand it off to to the next person in line. And a ton of guys killed turkeys in this vest last year, and I think it was it was the number one vest, if I recall. Um, pretty pretty neat. So the first four vests the families are keeping. Uh, and then the number five vest they donated to the National Wild Turkey Federation, and we auctioned it off at the Grand National Auction on Saturday. It went for thirty-two thousand dollars. Every penny of that went into the into the mission, which is really neat. So very, very grateful for those uh, those guys, Masioke, man. What a, what a day! So, so cool. yeah, cool. it was pretty I, cool. I, I thought they did a great job. Um, like kind of like you, you know it, these days. We hear a lot in our circles of kind of mobile hunter, at least the ones that I'm a part of, kind of the mobile hunter, um, public land hunter type groups. Um, you hear a lot about the brands like Sitka, First Light. Um, I rep for Scree here for a long time. Um, you know, there's a lot of these kind of newer apparel companies. And so when you get into that circle, you you almost forget about the the guys like Mossy Oak and Realtree who are kind of the OGs, you know what I mean? Like they're the ones who started the whole gig. And uh, I thought it was really cool, like being there at NWTF and um, kind of get reminded of the, of they're, they, they got a lot of good stuff going on. Mossy Oak does. And I know Realtree does the same way. Like they, they're not irrelevant to this, this camo, conversation i guess or to the scene they're still they, they got a lot of cool stuff going on so i was i was happy to see that I, I don't know that you can beat the bottom land like original bottom land pattern i kind of fall into that camp it's my favorite pattern that exists and uh yeah i'm with you man i'm, oh I'm boy, right here we go Paul, i got the Paul i get parker gonna geek out on the bottom land. i got the green <laughs> i got the green leaf i got uh i i, I, I love, love green I love, leaf too man yeah don't get me wrong i do like the first light camo uh i i, I have i have fallen uh, falling in love with that, but the, the bottom land, man, it doesn't, I mean, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. It's, Especially you know, the woods. here's what I wish we could have happen. Um, I wish we could put bottom land camo, the patterns on all of the first light gear. Yeah. Um, because I really like the fit and functionality of everything. First light I've got, I know Sitka's yeah. the same way. People really like it. Kuyu, um, a lot of these brands, it fits well. It kind of, it, it's a system. And I like that. A lot of the mossy oak stuff is going to be on uh, like your box store brands. You know, the stuff you yeah. buy at Academy is what's going to be in mossy oak. And it just doesn't, it, it's not as good. It, the quality in it isn't as good. It's bulky and big and the fabrics are different fabrics. Yeah. They're not, they're not good for our style of hunting. Um, so I've always found myself in kind of like a, like a mental pickle 
Like, yeah. do I want the pattern? Because I love Mossy Oak mm-hmm. stuff, man. And I love, I love the company and like the tradition that they carry. But my goodness, I also really like Merino wool. That <laughs> crap's great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a fact. What, uh, what do you got planned for your, your turkey season this year? Oh man. It, it changes by the day. I feel like sometimes, um, right now my three big ones are that I know are happening are Florida. Uh, go to Florida with you. Um, buckle up. Yep. That was going to be a fun one. So we're kicking it off there and then I'm going to go in Florida again. I'm going to go from hunting with you to hunting with my buddies, uh, Adam and Walter and a whole bunch of guys, a bunch of my buddies, Clay, um, we're going to hunt like the north north zone of Florida for their opener. And then Alabama will open up sometime the beginning of beginning of uh, end of March, early first of April. Alabama has like four different opening days, depending on which zone you're in and whether or not you're hunting public land or private land. So just I'm sure I'll find a place to hunt on March 25th there. And then Tennessee opens. I have my tags there, so probably try to go there. And then the big one, the next big trip is going to be to Montana. So that's uh, that's going to be fun too. I freaking that's love good, Western turkey once, hunting. Once you fill those three birds, and you got to go find that Rio, right? I mean, you know, like yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It just depends because okay. th- there's a chance that I I might do a Rio too this year uh, in West Texas again with my dad. So, I mean, we don't know a hundred percent whether that's going to happen or not. So we're just kind of, I'm, I'm playing that one by ear. And if that one happened, Rio's are probably my favorite turkeys to hunt. Like, like going out to Nebraska where there's Rio's. So you get the cool, um, the cool scenery and the Ponderosas and you get all the terrain, but you go a little further East in Nebraska and, you can have that same terrain, but it's more of a hybrid bird of Rios and uh, Rios and Merriams. So they, they gobble hard and they come to a call, but you're in this beautiful country and they still have, they're more white. They're kind of, they're hybrids, but they, the, the crappy thing about Merriams is that Merriams just, their gobbles really kind of goofy. You know, it sounds like you're hunting farm turkeys. They're just, you know, they just don't sound right. Can you do um, that again? Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> it's it's something you gotta you gotta kinda suck that thing in the back of your throat, you know, your little hanging down thing. And you, oh, 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 oh. They just <laughs> they're very similar to an Eastern Jake. Um yeah. but but I don't know, they're just they don't gobble right and they don't always respond they respond to calls, but they don't always come to calls. You're kind of every Merriam's hunt I've ever done, it's just like a it's kind of a chase. You're just trying to get in front of them and they run the the track stars they just run those mountains like crazy you just gotta get in front of them but rio he he wants to he wants to play a lot rios are my favorite turkeys to hunt without a doubt um so if i had if i had to choose my favorite bird i'd probably choose like a like a mountain rio those are fun that's 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 interesting so you got your slam last year that was your first slam so you tell tell your story about your your Rio, the final piece of the puzzle there. Well, the Merriams was the final one. Uh, oh, was Rio, it? Okay. Yeah. 
so so I did this West Texas hunt. Um, I, my, really, I scheduled my season almost the exact same as it is this year. Uh, going to Florida first. I killed two Osceolas in Florida last year. Then I killed a couple of Easterns here in Alabama. Um, then we went. I went on just kind of a Western swing and hit Texas. And me and Dad went out there to a private property. So just so people know, like Texas is not a very uh, public land rich area if you don't know that so it just doesn't have very much of it what little do- is there you can't turkey hunt it there's not a lot most of the most of the texas turkey hunts are going to be quota or like a, like a draw type system and so uh, my dad has a buddy that their family had like 350 acres out in it's like central west texas and so we went out there and day one i killed my bird like within 15 minutes of being there um, just went on top of this ridge and called and he responded. And I mean, it was just a wild, like super quick, fun hunt. He did everything. Like he was running, he'd stop, he'd strut, he'd gobble, he'd run more. Like it was just a really cool thing to experience. And then dad killed his bird the next day out there. Your Florida hunt was real quick too, wasn't it? Yeah. My Florida hunt was the fastest turkey hunt of my life. Uh, you like, day. literally watched that thing fly down right in front of you, didn't you? Yeah, opening day, uh, right at sunup, he flew down in a power line right in front of us and maybe took like half a step before I shot him. Um, but but ne- we all never know gobbled. life balances out, right? So you got a couple, a couple of them that were really easy. But that last piece of the puzzle. Let me tell you something. Man, this is going to sound... It's going to sound bad. Everywhere I've ever hunted <clears throat> has been easier than Alabama. Like, I killed a turkey my very first day hunting Tennessee. The first day I ever turkey hunted Tennessee, I killed a turkey. The very first day I ever turkey hunted Florida. And I'm, I'm not saying this is that I'm a good turkey hunter. I'm not just some super effective turkey hunter. I feel like I dang suck at it because when I'm hunting Alabama, I feel like nothing ever works out. But my very first day hunting Nebraska, I killed a turkey. Very first day hunting West Texas, I killed a turkey. I mean, almost all of the out-of-state hunts that I've done, I've killed a turkey on the first day. But in Alabama, I've never even come close to tagging out. Like, I've killed, you know, one, two, three. I think I think the most I ever killed in Alabama was three in one season. And, and how many you guys get? How many do you get in a year? Now we get four. We used to get five. And I mean, so last year was just like that, man. It was like everywhere I went, the first day I got there, I would shoot a bird. And so my slam was kind of, uh, it was was kind of quick, you know. Um, But the the one that you're referring to, Paul, I think is the one, the the one state that it didn't happen on the first day. It was, it was tough. So I, I decided to go to Wyoming after I went to West Texas. And drove out there on a solo trip, which I don't recommend um, to a lot of people. I mean, I felt like I I was right on the fringe of being ready to go on a solo trip that far away uh, for that long, for that many days. It was supposed to be like nine days that I was going to be by myself there in in Wyoming, which is just big country. You know, like you're talking about dang little bitty towns like nobody for miles if you get far enough away 
and and just really big vast hills the the you know dark dark forests you know i mean it's it's a little eerie and there's animals there that you know a little more dangerous than the animals we have down here and so mind kind of wonders and you're just not around people and so you when you're not around people you really kind of find out what you're made of and i found out that i'm mostly made of jello and i <laughs> I, I caved fast man um i get out there very first day get on a bird and the very first afternoon because I, I drove basically two days straight and went straight to the land found a bird roosted them went out the next morning and there was way more gobblers in there than I thought there ended up being like 10 turkeys fly down 10 gobblers fly down all around me and uh right before one of them there was one that was really kind of just seemed like the boss you know and he was about to go over this lip of the canyon uh and I pulled the trigger at like maybe 35 yards pulled the trigger and I didn't have my safety off and by the time I got everything, he was gone. And that's, that's Miriam's mm-hmm. for you. And so I got on more birds later that day. I hunted all day long and it was on birds all day, but I just felt like I couldn't catch up to them. They were just always moving away and I couldn't ever catch up. So the next day I went out there and then the wind and the rain and the weather all came in, um, was still hunting and I hunted for about four days. Then I started getting really sick. Um, I don't know if it was like a, a, a mental thing, you know, like sometimes your, your mental state can affect your physical health. And so I started just getting kind of sick, getting stomach aches. And I went out one morning, the last morning, and uh, I mean, the wind was howling. It was really cold and it was about to start snowing later that day, actually. And uh, this is like late May. So I've been in hot weather for months now at this point and I'm about to be in snow in Wyoming and uh my nose just starts like pouring out blood while I was just sitting there I was just sitting there hitting turkey call that morning there was a bird gobbling and uh, I was kind of figuring out which way he was going and my nose started bleeding and it didn't let up for like 30 minutes that first time I finally got it clogged up and I had like dried blood literally all over my face my beard was longer at the time, so I have blood all in, like, dried onto my beard. It was just a really violent-looking scene, even though it was just a nosebleed. So I stayed out there until about lunch, and at lunch it started up again. And here it comes, just pouring out blood again. I was like, I got to get back to the truck. So I started You got to lay off the booger sugar, man. That stuff, <laughs> that's a problem right there. <laughs> Yeah. Just to clarify, uh, Parker's not using cocaine. Just, you know. <laughs> no, no, but it felt like I was. I mean, like I started getting lightheaded. I've never been high on cocaine, but I felt like I was like intoxicated. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started walking back to the truck that day and like started getting all lightheaded and woozy and started really kind of spinning around and I don't usually do that. Like that's not something that's normal for me. But finally got to the truck and trying to figure out what I'm gonna do. I still had like five more days and I was on turkeys every day. I was like, man, I I need to stick around here, but at the same time I don't want to get super sick and I'm out here by myself. So I sat at this truck stop for literally like four hours trying to decide what I was going to do. 
And I eventually just decided like, you know what? I got to get, I got to at least get closer to home. Um, I can still turkey hunt somewhere. I'll go turkey hunt another state that's closer to home. Just so, you know, in case something gets bad, I can at least get there. So I start driving back home and stop overnight in Nebraska, like right on the Wyoming, Nebraska state line and wake up the next morning and I'm calling my dad and we're talking on the phone. I'm like, dad, there are turkeys in every single field that I'm seeing right now, like literally every single field. I said, you know what? I'm going to pull up on X. And so I pull up on X and just start. I was like, if, if, if I happen to see a Turkey, I'll be able to at least be able to tell if it's public land. Cause there's a lot of public land around Nebraska that it's just like spread out, like super random spread out. And uh, sure enough, man, about 15 minutes later, I see a gobbler in a field and still talking to my dad on the phone. I said, there's one and he's on public. He's literally on public. I'm on the interstate. I can't just pull off on the side of the road. I got to figure out how to get off on an exit and get around to at least an access point for this property. So dad's looking at his Google maps in, in Texas, looking at his Google maps, trying to figure out like where I'm at. And he's got the friend to friend thing with me. I share my location with my dad at all times. So somebody knows where I'm at, where I'm at always. So he's looking at all that. And he's like, okay, get off right here on this little farm road, on farm road, whatever, 525. Okay, I get off on there, and I finally find my way to this entrance, park there, get all of my stuff on. Like, I'm wearing, like, not my hunting boots, like these, like, they're not Crocs, but they're kind of camp shoes. I'm wearing those. I've got uh, camo pants thrown on. I throw on a leafy suit, grab one turkey call and a camera, and I'm out. And I'm like, literally, I don't have my, my Nebraska tag when I first see this turkey because that was the whole plan. I was like, if I see one, I'm going to buy my tag at the gate. So I, I was sitting in the truck, like buying my tag right then. And then I got all my stuff together and went out and um, I think I walked about 300 yards and let out a call. And I thought I heard something. But like I said, I was close to the interstate. So there's a lot of like 18 wheeler traffic going by and stuff. And I was like, man, I don't know what that was. I'm going to get a little bit closer. So I walked maybe 10 yards and I ended up bumping this turkey. He was coming straight to me, like on a string. And that was in fact him that gobbled and he was coming straight to me and I bumped him. I'm like, freaking crap. Well, I've already bought my tags. I'm just going to hunt the rest of the day here because I know there's a turkey. So, and I was also feeling a lot better. Um, Not great, but I was feeling a little bit better. So I walk, Oh, I, there was a river on this property and I thought, okay, that turkey, that gobbler, he didn't fly up. So he's probably not going to go over that river right here. Like if I can get just around, just run straight, like perpendicular, hit the river and then run that edge, I could probably catch up with him before he crosses, if he even does cross. So I start making a beeline over to that river and I get to a pretty open, like a really it's like a really pretty like river bottom, like you see on TV. Like it was just absolutely beautiful. And I see this wide open river bottom. I was like, okay, I need to scan this before I run all the way to the river and I'm scanning it. And I hear, and I look over and it was, it was almost like cartoonish, you know, like it's almost comical. I look over and like tangled up in this bush is a gobbler. Like he's like, like down in the bush and he pops his little head up. He goes, <laughs> and just takes off running. It was like a cartoon. Takes off running, and he's like maybe five yards away at this point. 
So my first shot at him as he's running was like at maybe 10 yards. So there's no telling how tight that TSS pattern was <laughs> running away. So I'd rack another round and let him get out a little bit further and he stops and I shot him and ended up completing my slam uh, on a Mariums in like the most bizarre fashion. <laughs> I think weirdest turkey hunt. Did you, did you, <laughs> did you just like stand there? Like what the hell just happened, man? I did. I was like, what, what, what just, what, what's going on? Like did this really just happen? Because you have to understand, I had put a lot, a lot into getting this slam this season. And this was the only thing I had left. So whenever I decided to leave Wyoming, it was me saying, I can't complete this. Like I'm physically unable to complete it. I had to give up. Like there's always next year. So whenever this happened in just this weird, bizarre way, like seeing it from the road, buying my tag, my dad helped. Like it was almost like my dad was there with me. You know what I mean? And I called him when I called him. So I went and stepped on the bird's head and let him expire. And I'm calling dad. And I was like, you're not going to believe what just happened. This is absolutely wild because I had only been there for maybe 25, 30 minutes at the most, you know, like literally it happened that fast. And so dad was like, no, this is freaking awesome. This is awesome. This is great. You know, dad's having a fit in Texas on the phone with me in Nebraska. And it was, it was cool, man. That is, that is cool, man. What a, what a, what a story. And I mean, you, it's funny, like you have all the, you know, adversity throughout the season, but then you've got a couple like, really really easy like the, the kill the kill hunts yeah <laughs> just like well maybe I mean, 90 minutes combined you know well when like i said before um like all the states that uh, that i hunted it felt like it was pretty easy even wyoming like i pulled the trigger on the first day um i didn't kill the bird but if my safety wouldn't have been on i probably would have killed the bird on the very first day. And then I go to Nebraska and it was literally that I'm not going to say it was easy. Cause it wasn't, it's, it's, it's putting yourself in the right position, right? Like I feel like the time that I've spent chasing these birds in Alabama that are just really, really difficult. It has made me, it has absolutely made me more effective in other States. I'm not a grand champion caller. I'm not even very good at it. Um, but when you hunt, when you hunt really, really tough birds, and I think a lot of people, I mean, it just depends on where you, there's parts of Alabama that are absolutely incredible. Um, there's pockets of, I'm sure there's pockets of Ohio that suck, right? But then there's other pockets that are great. But it, for the people that find themselves in the pockets that suck, and I don't I don't think that you're, I don't think anybody's flexing when they say they have hard turkeys to hunt, because some turkeys are just hard to hunt. But if, you, if you're listening to this and you find yourself, you're like, hey, I feel like that's, that's me go try other States. Like you will be a better Turkey hunter because you hunt in a really difficult place. Does that make sense? Like one, once I realized that um, it, it kind of makes you appreciate the, the toughness of some of these other places. Parker, do you think some of it has to do with you putting pressure on yourself and you're like, this is my home state. I should be able to get four birds here. Uh, I need to just like make this happen. Do you, I mean, no, no with deer. I do. Uh, I definitely feel that way with deer with turkeys. I feel like it's just because it's hard. 
um it, it, it and it is like there's only a few there there are a few people out there that i feel like if they go out in the places in the areas that i'm hunting they have a good chance of killing a bird there's a guy uh, he's actually got a, a youtube channel his name's bartlett kimbro and this son of gun is unreal with with turkey like he just it's like he doesn't make a wrong move he knows how to kill turkey and when you follow i'm friends with him on facebook and he's like got one in tennessee and then the next day got one in alabama then the next day drove back to tennessee and got another one in tennessee like he's literally every day killing turkey Damn. and um and so there there are people like that in the areas that i hunt that are just on a whole new level but i'd say by and large like the people who are if you meet somebody that's killing two or three turkeys in North Alabama every year on public land, like they're probably they you could probably put them in a lot of places, yeah. uh, a lot of States and they're going to be able to kill turkeys. And I don't think like, again, I put almost, I put very little into the calling and more into having effective setups, you know, and making the right moves and, you know, sometimes like I'm, I would consider myself to be an aggressive turkey hunter and not a purist. Uh, I don't use a lot of decoys or, and I don't reap turkey and like do reaping or anything like that. Um, but I'm pretty, I don't mind crawling on turkeys. Like they don't have to just come in gobbling and strutting to my gun barrel. Like I'll cut them off. You know what I mean? Like right. I'll see the direction they're going and try to get in front of them. Like I, I think, and I'll think when, when you hunt places that have few turkeys and few opportunities, I think you really learn how to take advantage of the opportunities that you do get. And turn your safety off. Yes. Turn your absolutely. safety off. Okay, so absolutely. Let's let's dive in real quick to the to the setups and what and and what you mean by that. For for a lot of people listening, they may not know what a good setup is for a turkey hunt. How how are you determining what what a good setup is? What are you looking for? Well, um, where I hunt in in North Alabama, uh, where I've hunted in um, some places in Tennessee that I've hunted, uh, you're dealing with a lot of hills, and I would much rather I would much rather deal with a hill uh, with hill country and a little more rugged terrain for turkeys than flat land. I feel like you know, like I said, I, I like to try to get in front of turkeys and that's largely why a lot of my turkey hunting videos that you see really suck is because I'm not in a stationary position for a long time. Um, and a lot of the turkeys I kill are, you know, on my belly or in a pine thicket. You know what I mean? Like, like just because I'm not always looking for, it's not like what you see on TV, you know, like they're not just coming to every call and strutting out in the middle of fields. I'm not hunting a lot of field birds either. So when you talk about footage, field birds are great because you can get lots of footage. It doesn't mean you're always going to kill them, but you at least see some. Um, but where I hunt, you know, it's not always the case. It's thicker woods. Um, you're really looking for uh, those flats, acorn flats, where turkeys spend a lot of time scratching. Like I don't kill a lot of birds right off the roost. Most of the time it's going to be um, late morning is is pretty common, like late morning to one o'clock. I would say I kill most of my turkey hunt, uh, my turkeys. Um, 
I, I think, so you, you asked about my setups. Uh, I would say my weakest point of setups is going to be that first, like on the roost. I always feel like I just really struggle to have a good on the roost turkey hunt. Now, like I said, I had a good one last year in Florida. A um, little bit different situation. We were in a power line and it's, you know, Palmetto flats and stuff like that. It's flat land. So it was just a little bit different, but um, in Alabama, I just always feel like my, my setups in the morning suck really bad for whatever reason. I can't figure out the right way to set up on, on them on the roost, but mid morning when they get out and they find those, like, I, I feel like I really do a good job of um, just kind of paying attention to the sign that I find, you know what I mean? Like I kill a lot of birds from, um, like I said, being aggressive and, and maybe seeing one. I, I would say a good percentage of the time, the turkeys I kill, I don't ever hear them gobble. I just kind of see them and move around in front of them. Does that make sense? Like it's not really like your typical turkey hunt. Um, but, but yeah, so those, those late morning setups, I would say are where I really try to focus at. And so you asked about what those might look like. Um, I find here, a lot of times, first thing in the morning, uh, I find them in the bottoms for whatever reason, uh, in Alabama. I don't know if it has, if it's just because it's warmer, um, it gets warmer a lot earlier in the year down here. So pretty much all of our Turkey season is going to be fairly warm. And so they'll hang out, they'll congregate in those, in those bottoms. And so that can make it really difficult. Um, as you know, Paul, do you typically hunt like hill country stuff? I do. Yeah. I, I, most of my hunting is in the Southeastern corner here in Ohio and it's, it's very, it's not as intense as that Northeastern corner of Alabama that you're talking about, but it is very, very hilly. And it's funny because most of the turkeys that I hunt, they'll roost in the bottom. They hit the ground and go straight up. I mean, really? as soon as they hit the ground, they go straight up the straight up the ridges. And then about 1030, the toms, you know, almost like clockwork, they end up in the bottoms again, right along the rivers, you know, in those those grassy areas, just strutting, you know, but it's 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 funny how Every, every portion of the country is going to be yeah. different, you know? I mean, the, the strut zones that I typically find, like where I will a lot of times um, in that 9, nine 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock range, like where it's starting to get warm, um, it's like those benches just right off of creek bottom. So I would still consider it to be in the bottoms. Um, they're definitely not on the spine of a ridge. And I don't really find where I hunt, I don't find a lot of, a lot of turkeys like on ridge tops rarely maybe every occasionally like i'll see a hen you know going to nest in a clear cut that might be on the top of a ridge but most gobblers that i've killed i would say are between like somewhere between half and and bottom like halfway up and bottom um and it and it probably has a lot to do paul with the with the temperature i mean i know ohio in March is probably still pretty chilly, right? Yeah. The, the one, the one thing that I experienced in Alabama that I've never experienced before really in Ohio is the thermals. Yeah. I mean, it is intense there in the Talladega national forest. I mean, it is, I mean, it is intense. I, I actually called him. I'm like, dude, this is insane. Like I can go 15 feet up the side of this mountain and it's 10 degrees temperature difference. Yeah. And the wind is there. And, and so I wonder if that, that, that might, 
that might I would imagine that influences sure. turkey movements. Even in even in cold weather in Ohio, we don't get thermal activity that's that intense. I um, will say, you know, and I'm sitting here thinking as like checking myself as I'm talking, like I said, I had never killed, I don't kill a lot of turkeys on the ridge tops, but one that I can think of, actually two that I can think of that I killed on back-to-back days, um, the first week of turkey season. So it was chilly. It was like really chilly. And -hmm. I killed both of those birds on ridge tops. Um, And so, and you know, when I'm deer hunting during the fall, I see a lot of birds on ridge tops, Um, not nearly as much in the bottoms, but I think whenever it those temperatures start really getting up there, which for us can be the first week of the season. You know, we can have a, we can have a 75, 80 degree day the first week in March, really. I mean, cause we have them through January even. Um, so it's not uncommon for it to be really warm. And that's when I see birds a lot, just hanging out. They loaf right there close to the bottoms, if not in the very bottom. Just, just hanging out. Gobbling. Yeah. And, Stratton. And the cool thing is, is you can, you can make moves if they're gobbling, you can absolutely make moves. Um, because a lot of times those bottoms will have, you know, boulders and, you know, cuts in the creeks, uh, creek banks, like ways that you can get around. If you, especially if you can get up above a turkey and see him, I would rather call, call one up, right? Call one up to the top rather than down into the bottom. Uh, and so you have a little bit better vantage point there. Um, but you can also, like I said, make those aggressive moves and make a big loop around, get in the bottom with them, figure out which way they're going. Their chances are they're going to spend a lot of time going that same direction in that bottom. Yeah. That's been, that's been my experience for for the Ohio turkeys. When they get there and they get back down to the bottoms, man, they just lock in on that and whatever it is, keeps them, keeps them there. I, I think it's just probably because they can be seen, you know, easily by yeah. hands and they can be heard. I mean, who who knows what 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 the heck keeps them there? But you know, we, I had probably the hardest turkey I've ever hunted was was two years ago, and Parker, this sucker, would lock on the bottom, and he would gobble from seven in the morning until eleven o'clock in, in the morning. I mean, nonstop. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm talking like every ten seconds, this turkey is gobbling. And I could never, I would sneak in on that turkey. I, I, I'd, I'd see him a couple of times, but we could never, we could ne- me and my buddies, we could never get this, this, we could never kill this turkey. Cause he was just, I mean, he would not leave. I mean, he was in yeah. the same area every time. And I one finally, I was like, you know what we're doing? We went around to the other side of the park, crossed this huge river, took like a six mile hike into the woods. And we're getting up into the, to this area where this, where this turkey had been, for two weeks and freaking headlamp clicks on some other guy had had enough of this, of this Turkey running his mouth all year. And, but it's just like, it's, I don't know, man, when they're, when they're gobbling like that, like crazy, they're almost, it's like, they don't really care. They're just like, I'm, I'm just going to gobble at you. I'm not here. I'm not, I'm not yeah. going to do anything. So you know, that's like, the, that's the hardest Turkey to hunt. I will say too, like um, one good thing about, a lower turkey density area is that a lot of t- there's not just an abundance of hens either. You know, like they're not just on every corner. Um, and so what I found in a lot of my out of state stuff is I'm not nearly as good at hunting birds with a lot of hens because I don't deal with it a lot at home. 
because they don't they might have one or two around but i mean a lot of times they don't have any anything around so mid mid morning they're losing them and there's not a, a hint on every corner to intercept them either you know what i'm saying so like if you can get on a goblin bird late morning or afternoon you can good good chance that he's not going to run in run into any other hens in between you and him yeah that's a, a so many people we, we call it the second shift right you sleep in eat breakfast you drink some coffee you get into the woods about 10 o'clock and that's a game changer a lot of guys swear by that i like that i like the second shift and i've killed i've killed some turkeys in that later part of the season later part of the day because you're right biologically i think they're done doing what they need to do you know the 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 hens have been bred they're nesting up they're you know they're busy and and so the toms are out there out there cruising but that early morning i mean you're gonna have a lot of competition early on here especially here in ohio i mean it's i'm we're talking like six seven ten hens for you know one or two goblin turkeys and there ain't nothing you can do for that i don't care i mean i don't care how good of a caller you are you're you're gonna sit there and watch them walk away from you every time i mean i i've had i've been able to call in successfully a, a group of hens that had toms one time i had my nephew levi he was probably 13 at the time it was his first turkey hunt and these turkeys parker came in they were about 30 feet from us to his left and he's left-handed. So, I mean, it was, it was just, you know, it's hard. That's, that's hard when it's on your, your strong side. And he just moved the slightest little bit and he, his knee hit the button on my, on my Browning and it cycled the shell and that sucker just clacks in and those turkeys dude, boom, gone. And I was so upset for him, but also because I did it. Like I just got these hens to come 50 yards, get them all fired up and they were bring, I'm like, this never happens. I mean, not to me. I mean, maybe to yeah. Dave Owens, it. you know, guys like that. But man, that's I've had a, that's it happen more. Way. I had that happen more when I was stupid and didn't know what I was doing with turkeys. Yeah. Um, because like when you're stupid and you don't know what you're doing with turkeys, if you hear a turkey, any turkey, a, a hen, you're a gobbler, you're a Jake, you start going nuts on that call. It's not until you're older and wiser that you start realizing like, that's maybe not always the thing, but mid morning, if you can piss off the hen, yeah. then you're going to bring her to you. So like that happened a lot more when I was dumb, when I didn't know what I was doing, I called in a lot more birds uh, that had hens. Cause I just bring their hen in. Cause I was just wailing on a box call. Just hammering that thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm going to do this year. I'm just going to hammer the, every every time I go in the woods. Like, bah, 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 bah. I talk about it a lot on Southern Ground when we're talking about deer, like hunting dumb. Sometimes hunting dumb isn't a bad, isn't a bad choice. You know, yeah. like you don't know what to do. I, I find myself in a lot of scenarios with turkeys. Like I don't know what to do. In I mean, every turkey scenario is different, right? Like he's in a, he's on the top of a ridge, and I'm at the bottom, or vice versa or it's raining and i saw a turkey but he's not gobbling i saw a bird bird out in the field he's not gobbling what do i do like every turkey scenario is so stinking different sometimes you just got to throw a hail mary you know and yeah, see if something sure. works that's a good thing about podcasts though and, and specifically storytelling podcasts is if you can make like this men- mental bank of well paul told a story about how it was raining cats and dogs on him and he killed a bird by doing this and this and this, I store those things, right? Like I store 
most Dave Owens videos that I watch, store most of the THP videos I have that I've seen. Uh, you know, I'm re- you retain these information, this information, you can always bring it back to yeah. a scenario you might find yourself in. No, that's 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 a true statement. That's the one thing that's that's really interesting about turkey hunting is the nuance that's that's involved with it. I feel like a wild turkey can exercise free will more so than any other animal out there. Yeah. That you know they they can make the decisions to, you know, eh, I'm not going to go to that hen that I want to breed. I'm not, I'm just going to go over here. I I've been, and they just they just do it. And and deer and elk and you know, I feel like they're much more their routine is a little more set you know, with what they uh-huh. want to do in the areas that they like, where will a turkey be? Literally anywhere at yeah. any point in the day. That's where a turkey's going to be. That's why it's hard and to do a podcast about them. It is so hard, man. And I, I talked about this with Dave, Dave Owens and, and, and some other guys. And it's just like, cause I'll, I'll, I'll ask a question and, and the best way to learn in the turkey woods and really the best way to learn anything in life is failure, right? Turkey hunting, that's, that's especially heightened failure is, is, is the only way that you get, you gain experience in the turkey woods. And I'll ask a question knowing that the answer is, I don't know. And it's just like, you just laugh about it because that's the, that's the answer to really, well, how do you do this? Or what's the, I don't know, man, because it, it's, it, it's, it's all depends on that Turkey and what that sucker wants to do at that particular time. And it's going to be different. You're going to find a different Turkey in that same area next year and it's going to be different it's never the same you know and i'm gonna i'm gonna change the subject on you i'm gonna hard hard shift okay um can y'all see yourself in the reflection like on your video like can you see your video i can yeah i can see myself that turkey fan the turkey fan behind your head makes you look like a spartan warrior all the way it's do you see the way it was right there yeah i see full time i was like he looks like a Spartan warrior. I know exactly what I know exactly. Yeah. We'll have to put that picture on. <laughs> Sorry. Random moment. I couldn't keep that to myself. I had to say it. No, you're, we you're, recording. but I want to make a comment about, yeah. about what you guys are talking about, trying to discuss birds and, and all that kind of stuff. I have very little experience in the Turkey woods uh, and that's my own fault, but it is impossible for me to try to figure out what you guys are talking about half the time, because I'm like, well, I remember seeing a bird one time, but it didn't do anything like that. And I don't, you know, I haven't sat in that kind of terrain and thermals and rivers and this and that. And I'm just like, I, yes. Yeah, so I, it's so, that's what I'm saying. Like that. And I think that's what Paul means when you say like, I don't know, because I could tell you a story about a, a turkey that I killed that completely did the opposite of another turkey that I killed. You know what I mean? Like the, yeah. There's not there's not a hard fast rule for turkeys. No, there's, there's suggestions not. and there's maybe patterns ish. But I mean, I, I I always go back to one bird earlier on in my turkey hunting kind of life. Um, and and it, I, it, it maybe it was a failure. Like what you said, Paul, it's like you learn the most from your failures. And I didn't kill him, but I learned so much more about turkeys from this one experience. And it was the first, the first Eastern turkey that I ever called in to me. And I worked this bird all day. I mean, I didn't know what else to do, right? Like I'm, I'm pretty green at all this. Like I'm just trying to figure it out. Didn't know what else to do. So, I mean, I had a turkey gobble, so I might as well just stay there until he does something different, but he keeps gobbling all day long. 
all day long. And he feels, it seems like he's getting, getting closer and closer and he just doesn't. And he never shows up. And I mean, I'm talking about like from 7 a.m. when the sun came up until 4 p.m. I was sitting on this turkey and, and he gobbled all day long. I don't know how he kept his voice. Well, then I did like a really, what I now would call it an excited yelp. I didn't know that's what it was called then, but I was just like, you know what I'm saying? Like just very excited yelp. He gobbled once and I did it again and he stopped gobbling. And like, this is at like three, I don't know, three fifteen maybe. And the last gobble that I heard, he sounded like he was maybe 200 yards away, uh, maybe 150 to 200 yards. And I sat there and I sat there and I'm, I'm sitting there kind of, I'm in like this creek ditch, this little ditch in a pine, like a, it's a bunch of pines. And I'm, I'm laying down like kind of with my butt down in this hole, looking at ground level. I'm like, the shotgun's laying on the ground waiting for this turkey to show up. And I'll never forget it, like 4.15, maybe 4 o'clock, 4.15. I'd been sitting there this whole time, and I'm getting kind of antsy. You know, it's been 45 minutes since I heard him gobble. He's probably just gone. So I kind of make a move, Uh, not a move, like I shift my body a little bit. I get turned in a little bit different direction, and I hit a call. I'm going to try it one more time. And I hear, and I look over and I see this fan at like three feet away from me. Um, And it was just kind of behind some stuff. And I just didn't see the turkey come through. And he was way off kind of behind me to my left. And I I didn't know what to do at this point. I'm like, well, I'm just going to pick up my gun and shoot him. You know, so I pick up my gun and turn over there. And by the time I did, that son of a gun was so far away. Um, and I never even, I never even shot at him, but I mean, you can tell in that story, there's a lot of different things that I learned, you know, like I learned to, if you got a turkey goblin, stick with him, right? Like it can happen. It might take you 10 hours to do it, but it can happen. Um, and so if he keeps gobbling, just stay with him. Don't go to lunch. Don't whatever. Like if you want to kill him bad enough, you can still have a chance. I learned that. I learned uh, when a turkey stops gobbling, he's probably coming to you. Um, Or there's at least a chance that he's coming to you and to stay ready and stay alert. I learned don't freaking sit in a hole (laughs) while you're turkey hunting. I know it sounds like a good idea, but sit in a spot where you can actually maneuver your body a little bit or at least see where the turkey is when he's coming through. I mean, my setup was terrible. Um, Just so many things that I learned in that story that, probably some listener who's never really cared about turkeys now knows and they can put that in their bank and say, find themselves in that scenario. What did Parker do? Well, he did this. I remember that story. So that's why I like Turkey podcasts with stories. That's why I like like cuz Strickland. We just bringing it full circle. Those guys tell stories so well. I feel like I can draw a lot of knowledge and a lot of insight from those storytellers way more than I can. Maybe these maybe these people that are putting a little more saying it with saying the same stuff with bigger words. Yeah. Yeah. I think the art of like, literally, where do I sit? That's a very yeah. important thing to, to learn as, is is a new Turkey hunter. So Parker, tell us about your new Turkey hunting podcast, man. 
Yeah, so we started a uh, a new podcast on the uh, Sportsman's Empire podcast network. It's called Limb Hanger. It's the Limb Hanger Turkey Hunting Podcast, and um, we're going to be really diving into a lot of pretty much what I just said, like like scenario driven turkey tactics with with a lot of stories in them. Um, I feel like that's with turkeys. Like just to reiterate, it's the best way to learn is to tell a story because the end of the day, a turkey is going to do what a turkey wants to do. And all you have is experience. And so if you can gain knowledge from others experience, man, you can, you can cover a lot of ground by just listening to a podcast. And I I don't think you can, I don't think you can quite make up for experience with a podcast, but you can get at least a little bit closer. Um, So that's what we're going to be doing. What's the name of it? It's the limb hanger Turkey hunting podcast. Um, it's going to be hosted by uh, myself, my buddy Adam Cruz, who I talked about a little bit. Uh, Joey Bell is another guy, a guy from Tennessee that's just a turkey nut fanatic, if you will. And uh, my friend Matt, who uh, he, he, me and him, are he's going to be filming turkey hunts with the Southern Ground Channel this year. And, I mean, he's a turkey slayer. He kills a lot of birds, but he's going to have a camera in his hand this time. So um, anybody who understands trying to self-film a turkey hunt, understands the pain that's involved in that it ain't it ain't easy (laughs) no no it's not parker man i appreciate your time where where can people find you on social media yep you can look up um at southern ground hunting on facebook instagram uh and youtube and uh then of course you can look us up you can find the limb hanger turkey hunting podcast like we just talked about and the southern ground hunting uh podcast which is more going to be more deer related type stuff um, public land deer hunting. So that's uh, on the Sports Empire Network as well. On Spotify, iTunes, pretty much anywhere podcasts can be found. Good deal, Parker. Appreciate you, man. Yeah, thanks for your time, thanks, man. Guys. I will see you in a few weeks, my friend. Absolutely. We're going to kill some turkeys. Yes, sir. All right. Th- th- take care, man. Yeah, I appreciate it.